We're going to talk about one of the most notorious sinners in the Bible. One of the most evil, wicked, despicable that you can imagine. And if you can see the screen, you already know who we're going to talk about. So let's talk about, start here at Matthew 26, 14. Then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and he said, What are you willing to give me to betray him? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Judas had what I'm going to call here his Achilles heel, to use another term. He had a weakness. He had a place Satan could enter into his heart through, and that place was money, financial security, comfort, whatever that 30 pieces of silver represented in his mind, that was the opportunity Satan needed and Satan took full advantage of it, and Judas well cooperated also. Now, I want to make one more point. I just want you to tuck this one aside. Judas isn't the only one that betrayed Jesus. We will come back to this point, but for the moment, just kind of set that aside and think about it. So Judas went to the Pharisees. I wonder what happened. You know what's all going on in his head. So before he goes to the Pharisees, something preceded that move to the priest. And what it was, was it was a thought. It was an idea. He was thinking something that he ought not to have thought. And his failure in the very earliest stage that we can nail it down is going to be 2 Corinthians 10.5. I trust you know that verse well enough. You bring every thought into what? Captivity to the obedience of Christ. Unfortunately, Judas didn't do that, did he? Judas rather entertained a thought, held on to a thought. He rolled that thought around. He pondered it and rationalized that thought until... He was at the point where he could go to the Pharisees and have this conversation with him. So I wonder, just again, speculating, when he's on the way to the Pharisees, he's finally crossed that lump hump in his mind, and he's going, okay, I'm going, I'm going to go talk to him. I wonder what he felt. I wonder if he felt like a little really confident and in charge, or if he was a little anxious, you know, a little apprehensive, or his palms sweating a little bit, was his pulse racing, or was he just like, okay, I finally figured life out, I got it all going on. I'm not sure exactly what he thought along that line, but I am really confident in that statement. He thought he could manage whatever was in front of him and how it was unfolding. He thought, yeah, I'm in charge. I got this. Don't anybody need to tell me how to live my life. I am a grown man. I can make my own choices and I can handle what I need to handle. So he gets with him. He says, what are you willing to give me? And he's just fishing. He's just out there trolling a little bit. He's exploring his options. And can you see the rationalization here? I really hadn't done anything wrong yet. I'm just kind of looking around saying, you know, what's possible here? Of course, this possibility is all in the wrong direction. And when they said they'd give him 30 pieces of silver, that was it. That, that was the magic number. That was irresistible. He was in. He, he, he took the bait and ran with it. Now, we have to do a little aside here, just because we're always curious about this thing. What's 30 pieces of silver worth? And, you know, I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. I went to Google, of course. And I've tried to find out, and you know, the values were all over the place from 90 bucks to 3,000 bucks. I'm like, man, I can't figure that one out. I did find a little explanation that I thought was helpful, and I'm not going to tell you it's exactly right. But basically, 30 pieces of silver, according to one source, was about 120 days wages on average. So now what I, what I did next is I went to the Arkansas State webpage to see what our minimum wage was. They claim it's 11 bucks an hour. I don't know. But anyway, if you do use $11 an hour and you take 120 working days, you end up with about $10,560. Roughly what Judas sold Jesus out for. And when you put it in modern terms like that, you're like, hmm. But even if it was 100000 it wasn't worth it. 
Not, as you know, the end of the story as we do. So Satan entered his heart. That's stated again in Luke 22, verse 3 and 4. If you're taking notes, you want to put that down. Money, financial security, that was the door that he had in his heart cracked open for Satan. That was the one he was willing to negotiate through. And now my next question is, when did Satan enter Judah's heart? And this, I think, is rather profound. While he was walking with Jesus... While he was one of the twelve, he is with Jesus almost all of the time. He is, can I, can I put it another way? He was at church every single day with the ultimate head of the church. He was hearing Jesus teach day by day. He was seeing the miracles that Jesus did day by day. He wasn't just picking up a book and reading about it like we do and go, wow, wouldn't that have been neat? He was there in person seeing it with his own two eyes. He knew what he was seeing. And right in the middle of that, what you and I would think is one of the most holy, wonderful, righteous places to be, he let Satan right into his heart. And started going, okay, how can I use this to make a little money? How can I profit off of Jesus? Man, isn't that a common one nowadays? That, that'd make a good lesson just all on its own. So Judas enters into this wonderful honeymoon little phase with Satan. He enters into it thinking, all right, this is going to be fun. I'm going to get 30 pieces of silver. My friends are going to think I'm so cool because I've got money. Maybe he's thinking financial security or maybe he had a debt to pay off. Don't know why the money appealed to him so much. But we know one thing, it appealed and so he's in this happy phase for a moment because when you get with Satan and you get in the honeymoon phase, it is fun. Satan is fun. He's exciting. He's exhilarating. There's, we don't need to, to back that off up front. I want you to think about the sins you committed. And I don't think so bad you make yourself feel bad, but think about some of the, the sins you committed. What were you thinking? Hey, this could be fun. This could be neat. I could have a good time. My friends will think I'm cool if I go along with this one, right? I don't want to feel like an outcast. So one way or the other, we put a meaning upon the sin that said this is going to be a good time. And then we got into it and we didn't realize that Satan was crazy more dangerous than COVID. Now, the reason I mentioned COVID is because what is the biggest fear in America in the last three years? COVID. Oh, we're going to die. We're all going to, you know, and people are scared to death of COVID. Now, I'm not really criticizing that. I hope it doesn't come across that way. But Satan is way more dangerous than COVID. All COVID can take is your physical life. Satan can take your eternal life, right? I don't know why we get so comfy with Satan and, and some of those things when he's out to kill you forever. He's not out just to make you sick for six weeks. He's not out just to take your taste buds away for a little while or some other little odd thing that COVID does to you. He is out to destroy you forever and ever, give you a home in the lake that burns the fire and brimstone. That's his goal. But man, isn't it fun up front? Think about it. Now, some of us are getting too old. I, I tease with some folks sometimes. I say, you know that old dog on the porch that just kind of likes to watch the cars go by, but he's too lazy to get off the porch? That's me. I'm too lazy to get off the porch. I can't go do what young stupid men do. I'm just not in my makeup anymore. But I want you to think back. We used to be young and dumb, didn't we? And we thought, ooh, this is going to be fun. So I don't know what, what people are. Not afraid except... Sin is fun. It is exhilarating. And the image we put in our mind up front is exciting and fun and unrealistic. Uh, and we just blow it up into this wonderful, crazy Hollywood image. And then the honeymoon's over. And it's over pretty quick, isn't it? Now, some people get a little longer than others, but it, it goes short. So Judas' honeymoon comes to an end. 
Now when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorsed and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Pause right there. There is another good sermon. He's got his prize, right? And it's no longer fun. That's sin. You got your beer. You think, well, I'm drinking with my buddies. And then you're worshiping the porcelain throne, if you know what I mean. All of a sudden, it's not fun anymore, is it? We can do this drag race. Let's race. And something goes wrong and somebody dies. You know, you know all the stories. You know how it goes. And so you have that sin on the front. And you go, oh, this is awesome. This is wonderful. And then the next thing you want to do is you want to throw it back. I don't want it, Satan. But guess what? You can't throw it back. He said, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See through that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver in the temple sanctuary and departed and went away and hanged himself. Satan never, ever intended any long-term good for Judas. Not at all. Satan intended Judas' run all along. Now, how much control did he have? I don't know. Was this kind of a bonus when Judas went out and hung himself? Is the devil going, man, I didn't think it would get this good. I don't really know what's going on behind the scenes there. But I know that Judas' misery is Satan's joy and entertainment. Now, think about that a second. Judas' misery is Satan's joy and entertainment. This is what he's been aiming at all along. And by lesson, by way of analogy, that's the same thing for you and I. So now... Judas versus us, and we'll mention a couple others also. You ever get to feeling a little superior, Judas? Thinking, yeah, he was the scum of the earth. He was the lowliest low life of all low life. And to get a little sense of uppity kind of thing. If you do, as I say, that, that's a total fool's game. Don't play that game, not at all. The details of his sin are different than the details of your sin and our sin. But guess what? My sin helped send Jesus to the cross just as much as Judas' sin did. And your sin helped send Jesus to the cross just as much as Judas did. Now, did Judas have a different role in what happened? Absolutely. His sin, it was different details. It was a different time. I get that. But my sins sent Christ to Calvary also. And your sins did the same. Now we're just quibbling details and what have you. We all betrayed Jesus. We all sold him out. What'd you send him out for? Six pack of beer and a girl in a short skirt? A fast car and a $200 bet, who can make the quarter mile in the, the quickest? Maybe some weeds, an illegal drug, maybe cheating on a college exam test because if you fail, your parents are going to kill you. What did you sell Jesus out for? Romans 3.23 said we all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So this is not a question about did you sell Jesus out? You sold him out. I did too. Now again, like I say, we're just quibbling the details here. Well, the way I did it wasn't as bad as he did it. No the way they did it, well, no, 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 I, I'm not that bad. And we're all in the same sewer of sin, all without hope, all with no way out. And isn't it funny that we'd be floating in that same sewer, arguing about which part of the sewer is actually nicer than the other part of the sewer? Doesn't work that way in a sewer, does it? Anybody ever clean a septic tank? Right. It's all nasty. And it all belongs in the septic tank. So we need to humble our heart a bit as we think about characters that seem particularly worse to us and so I want to run, I think, three or four verses rather quickly here. Very little comment. Behold, he puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much less one who is detestable, corrupt, and man who drinks iniquity like water. Mm -hmm. And boy, could we drink it. 
Now, a lot of us kept drinking it more than we should after we were baptized into Christ, right? What is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? The psalmist is going, we're not even worth looking at. And we're not. In your sight, no man living is righteous. Let's pause there a second. No man living in God's sight is righteous. But here's the game we're going to play. Yeah, but that guy that was on the news at five o'clock, I didn't do that. You know, remember the, the Bernie, Bernie, forget his last name, the one that did the Ponzi scheme and ended up like billions of dollars? No, no, no. I, I, I cheated a little bit on this or that, but I never did that. And now we're just quibbling about prices. That's all it is. You know, the story about a man who was a billionaire, millionaire, and he propositioned a woman. He said, would you spend the night with me for a million dollars? She said, sure. He said, how about a hundred? She said, what kind of woman do you think I am? He said, we've already decided that. We're just quibbling about the price now. We all sold out to Satan. Some of us sell out really cheap, really easy, and some go for a higher price. But in his sight, ain't one of us righteous. Ain't one of us. He looked down on us and said, oh, ooh, that one's a little better than the rest. I've got to save him. We were all in the same sewer of sin, floating along to our eternal ruin. Titus 3.3, 3, Paul points out, for we also once were foolish ourselves, Disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. That's humanity. We all wallow right there. It's not pleasant. Don't like to think about it, but it's the reality. We all wallowed in the sewer of sin. And so you can quibble about which part you did and who's worse and who's a worse sinner. And the fact of the matter is, if all you were was disobedient to parents, which I get by our social standards, wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? By our social standards. But you know what? In the list in Romans chapter 1, and maybe the list over in, um, trying to think if that's Galatians 5 or it's the one in 1 Corinthians 6, the people who will not inherit the kingdom of God on that list is disobedient to parents. So, I mean, we can play the little social game. Of, oh, yeah, but I never robbed a bank. I never sold drugs to a, a grade schooler. I, I, I never, they were, just, they were just being silly. Because we all fell short of the glory of God. And now we're just quibbling about which part of the sewer we're floating in. That's the reality of us without Christ. Hopelessly stuck, no way out, and nothing in us that inherently merited Christ coming from heaven, taking on flesh in the form of a bondservant, even unto death. Nothing in us that inherently merited that. Thank the Lord for his wonderful grace there, right? So, we, we humble our hearts. So, let me see where I'm at here. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, or thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, highlight this next part. Such were some of you. That you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. There's that wonderful grace, that opportunity, and, and now we have this thing that we call salvation. So, Peter denied the Lord three times, right? Even with cursing. That, you know, it gets a little crazy. So which one's worse? Judah sold Jesus out for 31 pieces of silver, 30, excuse me, or is it Peter who denied the Lord three times? Well, they're both betraying Jesus. Again, we're just quibbling over details here. The difference is in their response. What happened with Judas is he despaired of hope and he went out and hung himself. Peter reached out in hope. Uh, so we have two people, exact same circumstance. Now I get overt details very little bit. But Judas betrayed Christ, and Peter betrayed Christ. 
Are you going to say it this way? Judas denied Christ. Peter denied Christ. Now, one of them says it's hopeless and hangs himself, and the other one reaches out in hope. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And you probably, you know, by the way, we like to gauge things. You're not going to get much worse than these two. And yet Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. So now we have a little bit of irony because they get contempt in the sewer. And this is where things get kind of funny. So we're going to use Luke 18, verse 9 through 12. And he told this parable to some people who trusted themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Let that soak in a second. Trusted they were righteous. Now look at me. I'm holy, I'm clean. No, I'm not like that trash over there. Viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood as he was praying to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. Now, let, let me try to do a quick paraphrase and, and modernize that a, a bit. God, I thank you that I'm not like those inmates down at Varner. I thank you that I'm not a convict. I thank you that I'm not like those porn addicts on the internet. I thank you that I'm not like that woman working the corner down at wherever they work them in Pine Bluff. I thank you that I read my Bible every day. In fact, I pray three times a day. Look at me, Jesus. I got it going on. I'm not like them. And I'm so thankful, Lord. And I even give you more money than I think the church needs. Is it making sense? Is it starting to line up a little bit? It's so easy to take a parable like this and leave it 2,000 years ago. Let's bring it over here. Let's bring it here. Let's bring it to Pine Bluff. Let's bring it to Jefferson County. Let's bring it to the people we deal with and the ones that we are supposed to be reaching out to in love who live lives that are swindlers and they're unjust. And there's some adulterers out there. And Jesus came to seek and save who? Oh, the lost. And that's who we're here to minister to. So there's just one sewer. So you get Judas, you get Peter, you get the parable of the Pharisee, take one. And you can quibble over details all you want, you know, Romans 3.23 again. We all sin, fall short of the glory of God. Uh, and, you know, the drunkard, the guy who gets drunk on Friday night can go, at least I'm not an alcoholic. You know, the guy who cheats on his taxes can go, at least I don't rob banks, you know, uh, and so on and so forth. You, you can play any little crazy game you want. The fact is... We're just quibbling over details. And no, we're not all as objectionable as the social standard is. But the fact is, we were all lost in sin. And without the blood of Christ, we're all going to hell and going to burn forever. And God's not looking down at any of us going, oh, oh, oh I need to make a special effort to save that one. He's better than the rest of those in the sewer. We all are on the wrong side of the line. We all fell short of the glory of God. And without Christ, we have absolutely zero, no hope at all. And we don't have hope today because we are somehow better. We're not better. We have hope today because Jesus loved the unlovable. That's it. Let that soak in a second. We were unlovable. And yet Christ came for us. That's, that's hard to imagine. Now, I don't know where you come from in all your sins. and I'm not going to play stories with you. But no matter where you come from. Or how pure and holy and near to righteous you think you were. You were still unlovable. Because you were dead in your sins. And yet Christ came. So that we could have hope. Instead of dying in despair, we could reach out and hope like Peter did. So what's your 30 pieces of silver? Where do you get all uppity? 
thinking, well, at least I don't do pornography. At least I don't do drugs. At least I don't lie to my mama. You know, pick one. I, I don't care. But the thing is, Judas had his 30 pieces of silver, right? And Judas had that place where Satan could sneak into his heart. And so the, the old saying I heard is a guy who paid his bills. And the guy who wouldn't pay his bills, he was really bad. Or the guy who you, he said he was going to be there, you could count on his word. His word was his bond. Some of us older ones remember that, right? Nowadays we're like, whatever happened to that? But somebody who lied, scum of the earth, you can't trust them. You don't know what's coming out of their mouth is right or wrong. What's your 30 pieces? What's that one that just really ticks you off? Makes you just blood boil? I'm going to give you some options. That helps. So Judas, it was literally money. Whatever that represented to him, security, prestige, fun and comfort. I don't know what it represented to Judas, but money was Judas' thing. Ooh, I'm going to go to the bar and buy rounds for everybody. I don't know how shallow he was. I'm going to invest it in Dublin. I don't know. But money was his thing. Peter, it was approval of peers. Peter has this dread of peer pressure. And if anybody's getting ready to reject him, Peter's like, no, I'll go along. It's okay. No, I don't know him. You know, <laughs> that, that was Peter. And then the Pharisee was just this, this I'm, I'm righteous. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes. I'm not like that adulteress. That, that, that was theirs. All about you and me. What's yours? I don't want you to say it out loud, but what's yours? You got one. Question is, what is it? So, some people are just lazy. That's theirs. I'm going to do as little as I can. Don't want to do more than I have to. They're not zealous for good works. That's Titus 2.14, of course. And, and of course, the lukewarm. What did Jesus say he's going to do the lukewarm? Spew them out, right? Revelation 3.15 and 16. Oh, well, that, that's no good. Gluttony, lust, greed. Paul said, I count all things lost for the knowledge of Christ. But there are a lot of folks that go, no, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute, preacher. <laughs> There's some things I want in this life first before. Can, can, can I wait and count them lost when I'm on my deathbed? We're going to play some games like that. That's crazy. But, but that's an area. Anger. Now, Romans 12, 15 says, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all men. But some people, this is it. Boy, you just, we call it short fused. You know, they fly off the handle real quick and they just like, boom, and they blow up. And that's Satan's door right into their heart. No problem. He's got it in. Envy. Now, Romans 1.29 just says not to envy. But you ever look at people that got stuff and resent them for having stuff? And you know no rich person ever got it honestly, right? Now, you don't know that. That's just an assumption we make. If somebody's got money, you know they have to lie, cheat, steal, or do something. No, I don't know that. But that's what envy says, right? Now, I don't know if you found yours yet or not. I think in the next one you will, if you haven't found it already. Because now we're going to have a little longer one to, to talk about. Pride. Oh, yeah. Come on, pick a sin. Pick one. Alcoholic. I know people look at alcoholics like they are the trash of the earth. They're not even worth the, what's the old saying when you say, the lead it take to shoot them, something like that. You know, or how about the gambler? Boy, there's you, the scum of the earth, right? The porn addict. Oh, yeah, they're really perverted. Drug dealers out there dealing their drugs. Oh, homosexuals. Well, let's get all haughty and you know, arrogant over them. That, that, uh, the prostitute? Mm -hmm. Deadbeat dads. How about just foul language? Immodesty. Now, I know it's happened here at this building. I don't know the response, but I know this part of it has happened. There'd be someone walking the building not dressed modest, according to our idea of modesty in our Southern culture, right? They were clearly immodest. What was your response? <laughs> I can't believe you wear that. 
Now, grown up, you think they know better. But what was it? What what'd you feel? The pride pop its head up there? Was that yours? How about verbal abusers? People who talk bad to other people. Outright violent? Mm, we, don't, we don't like any of that. Gossips? How about these people who won't read their Bible? <laughs> read their bile. <laughs> Type on. How about people who won't read their Bible? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm better than them. I read my Bible every day. I hadn't missed a day reading my Bible since 1902. Uh, that kind of nonsense. Poor attendance. We have people who are spiritually weak. Their attendance is shoddy. Now, I don't, I'm not asking you to be blind, but it's shoddy. Now, the question is not, is their attendance poor? The question is, is this the place where Satan enters my heart? When I was growing up, I grew up Southern Baptist. They gave out attendance awards. And they gave out five-year awards and ten-year awards. And there were people who got attendance awards for never, ever missing a service. Okay, it's good attendance is commendable. I'm in favor of that. What do you think would happen if we started giving out one-month pins, one-year pins? No, no, no. I got a five-year pin. You know? No, 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 no. You're not good. I got a ten-year pin. I missed in ten. You see the nonsense we get into? Not spiritually focused. A lot of folks just have trouble getting that spiritual focus. What's your thirty pieces of silver? Which one causes you to be the Pharisee, going, God, I thank you. I'm not like that person who can't seem to get their act together. God, I thank you. I'm not like that person who can't dress modestly. God, I thank you. I'm not like that person who won't read their Bible every day like I do. Are, are, are we getting the point across? Are, are we getting there? Because this is, this is where we need to get. Pick a sin. I don't care which sin it is. Pick anyone and look down on it with that sense of contempt that I am better than them. I'm somehow a superior human. And you just became a conspirator with Judas, betraying Christ. You just held hands with Peter while he was denying Jesus. Just stood there and encouraged him on you were just with the Pharisee embracing him in approval. When you look at another sinner with that kind of contempt. Why? Why is this all so wicked? Because looking down on a sinner with that disdain, that contempt, that, that sense of superiority misses the mark. That's not what we were called to do. We were called to walk with Jesus. We were called to be one with Jesus. So let, let me see if I can't bring this close to a close here. I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're to be perfect in love. Who does Jesus love? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Okay, let's just pause there. We can say the rest of it, but that's enough. When God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to save that world, there were no homosexuals in it, right? There were no porn addicts. There were nobody chasing prostitutes. There were nobody trying to do the drugs or the alcohol of that day, right? There were no swindlers. There were no thugs. There were no men beating their wives. There were no women rejecting their husband's authority. There, there were no people missing their daily Bible, reading their daily prayers, right? When God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the world was almost perfect. And you know better. Thank you, Edmund. The world was as rotten and dead in sin as could be. And Jesus did what? In love, 
He loved the unlovable. And he stepped out of heaven and he took on the form of a bond servant and he carried that service even to Calvary. Now, who do we walk with? Who do we stand with? Who does God love? John 3, 16. You know, that includes Judas, the unlovable. That's who God loves. Who did Jesus come to seek and save? Well, Luke 19, he came to seek and save the lost. That includes Judas and all the unlovable characters you can imagine. Following Jesus, some of you want this to be another lesson. It doesn't mean being naive. That, that's not what we're talking about. Following Jesus means loving the unlovable. That, that's what that means. Why? Because we all played Judas. We all had a hand in nailing him to the cross. We all did it. Isn't that interesting? That's kind of a, an humbling thought, isn't it? So, the love that draws us to Christ is the love that loves the unlovable. It's time for me to close the lesson, but there's another point to make. Churches all over this country are dying. They're dwindling for various reasons. We have a community that needs Christ more than any time in my lifetime. A community has needed Christ. And so I'm going to go out, and I'm going to walk to the prostitutes and go, You're sinning! You're filthy! Is that going to work? I'm going to go to the drug dealers. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Do you know what you're doing? Now, they're wrong. I get they're wrong, and I don't want you to be naive. What drew you to Christ? Was it the love that loved the unlovable? And what are we going to give to our family, our mates, our children? Now, I'm not saying we're not going to hold them accountable. That's another lesson. Right now, I'm saying we're going to love who? The unlovable. No matter who they are, we're there to try to get them to Christ. Is that wild or what? Let me tell you one quick story. i got two minutes. I won't go that long. I get to volunteer in the prison, and I get to talk to a lot of unlovable people. And if you want more information on this man, I'll give you his name and his number where you can get him on the ADC page. Just Monday, I stood at his rack. Now, I mean stand at his rack. I mean, he's laying out on the rack like me and Archer are to one another. This man has 19 life sentences. I know his story. It's ugly. And you can't get much uglier than that story. And Jesus died for that man. He came to save that man. He doesn't want any to perish. And so I come in and I say, hello, what's up? And we have a conversation and we talk. And hopefully we build something that opens doors. Now again, I'll give you his name and let you look him up. It's ugly, ugly, ugly. You probably don't want to see it. But only love, the unlovable, will reach out to those kind of people. That's what we do. Number one, we accept the love Jesus gave to us because we were unlovable. And then after we finally accept that, we give it back out to other people. We let it flow through us. So let me quit. I would ramble on, I know. It's the love of Christ that loves the unlovable flowing through you. And if it is, stay the course because that's how we're going to reach people is loving them with the love of Christ.